Russell's Reserve, aged 10 year. How are you today? Kyle's Cask. Doing great. Fantastic. It is a uh, a final week of the school year, so uh, it's a great day. Great day for America. Is this your last it's, week? Yeah, summer's on the horizon, man. It's uh, So next Monday, you're like, you're free to the world? Yep. All right. Yep. Taking over, taking over some more uh, CB roles, roles and responsibilities. Yes. Get get the hats ready. I'm ready to wear them. Um, we, are, our ki- we are a week away from taking over the world. I don't know why I went into that, but felt right. He's been pretty uh, strongly defending himself. Got to respect he, that. He went Tom Brokaw kind of. Uh, it's a good of, method uh, response. Yeah, it's an old man response, and it's a get off my lawn. So you know, you know, you would think if you if you didn't do something you're accused of doing, you might uh, vehemently defend yourself. Uh, otherwise, you may appear to kind of have been guilty of what it is you're accused of doing. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to Colangelo in a second. Um, a couple of small things here. Uh, our children met this weekend. They uh, did. At uh, Luca's birthday party at your house. I want people to know who are listening that in your your basement is a video game graveyard uh, of, it's in, I don't know if uh, I'm impressed, scared, worried, gleeful that your kids will have the opportunity to play every system from the early 90s. Um I think at one time or another, I've had all of those systems, and I'm pretty sure I've sold them along the way. Uh, why don't you list for people what is sitting under your TV, all apparently in working order and ready to be hooked up? There's a uh, Sega Genesis. There is a Sega Saturn, which I, I doubt you had. A Sega Dreamcast. An N64. I did not have a Saturn, actually. Yeah. An N64. There's a GameCube. There's a PS3 and a 360. There's a PS4 upstairs. That's uh, I I managed to get my wife to to approve that being upstairs. I get to play it so rarely, and usually you keep the Fire Stick or the PS4 in one of the rooms so that you can uh, you know pull up Netflix or whatever for the kids. Um, unfortunately, lost in the uh, in the move of my parents from cold country to closer to us, uh, I did have to sacrifice the original Xbox, which was a terrible thing that I never should have allowed my wife to talk me into because now I think I probably have like 30 original Xbox games and now most of them are rendered useless. I'll probably have to buy somebody else's old original Xbox to uh, get my NBA Street Volume 2 kicks back in or fixed. It's a great game. So, great game. Yeah, I mean... You know they make mods for that sort of thing now, right? Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, they're all in working order. And I don't get to play them much, but I, I have this new theory of how I think I'm going to raise my kids. So I think, like, obviously there there are some people who try to, like, get their kids to play games on the phone, like when they're out to dinner. I can't do that. Um, and and I don't know. I, I've seen people before, like, kid gets to, like, five or six, and they try to hand them a PS4 controller. And I, I think that's making a kid entitled, and I don't like it. So my new idea here is we're going to start with the Sega Genesis. He's going to learn to master uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And, you know, he can start small. He can start with the Lion King. That was a hard game. There's the Aladdin game. And he's going to work his way through. Now, the Sega Saturn goes a little bit sideways because I got that one way out of order. I think I got that sometime around when the That whole Xbox, generation was sideways yeah, for Sega. When, yeah. when the, uh, the Xbox, the original Xbox and the PS2 came out, I think, is around when I went and I drove to Reading to a place called, I think it was called like Microtel or something or Microplay. 
and found a Sega Saturn and thought it was the coolest thing ever. They had like this Tekken knockoff fighter thing. I thought it was the greatest. Virtual Saturn, fighter. I, yeah, that's yeah, that is that's one of them. Yeah, a virtual fire fighter. Come um, at me. Come at yeah. me. Yeah. Um but they're like the Saturn was a weird system, right? Like it was a disc it was a disc. Was that the disc add on to the Genesis? Well, no, that was Sega C D. Ah, right. Okay. Um, yeah. But Saturn came out after, and Saturn was like kind of in this weird in between of generations, and it didn't sell well in the U.S. But the one that, of course, uh, crushed everything about Sega and the dumbest decision that Sega ever made as a company, the Sega Dreamcast was, um, you know, I think the Dreamcast was in the middle of uh, N64 and PS2 and then transitioning onward. And for some reason, they decided not to put a DVD drive into the Dreamcast. They thought that it wasn't cost-effective, and they didn't think people were going to care that much. And well, that's of course, what sold the PS2. That's exactly what sold the PS2, and that's exactly what crushed Sega's hope of ever making another hardware uh, system ever again. They became let me, you know, exclusively a game manufacturer, so here we are. Let me chime in here real quick. Uh, the Dreamcast, ahead of its time as a game system uh mm-hmm. gave launch to uh nba 2k and i guess nfl 2k series yep, all the 2ks uh so a lot a lot of good came out of the dreamcast kind of a funky controller kind of that pointless window screen in the middle um i i this is where i will take the opportunity as i've done before to anyone who is interested in anything we just talked about to go buy or download to listen to the book console wars by blake harris it is a sega focused a uh, non-fiction book about Sega taking on Nintendo in the, I guess, early 90s. Um, written, you know, in it from a pro-Sega stance, but very, like, highly researched. Um, and it's written kind of as fiction. And they tell you in the beginning of the books that we had interviews with all the people involved, and we've kind of reconstructed conversations to make this, you know, read sort of like a fiction book, uh, which I always think is a really cool way of doing a nonfiction book. So they take some poetic license, but uh, awesome summer read. I listened to it a few years ago. Um, I would highly recommend it. It's like a 20 hour audio book or something. So it will, you're going to the beach. Uh, that's a good one. It moves. It's not dry at all. It's very interesting. So that's my uh, plug of the day. All right. So um, yeah, video games. I like them. I like them a lot. I used to play them all the time. Halo 2. Uh, this is a, a thing really quick that I got into arguments with students about last week. So there's, uh, I don't know if you saw the video of the, I forget the guy's name. He's a Philadelphia Eagle, and he was in the team shower, uh, fully draft Kyle. And he sings the Halo theme song. Okay, you need to mention my name. What? When you say that. I like how you need to mention my name when you say that. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to get you confused with Scott. You know, it's it's very, very confusing in the morning. Um, but anyway, he he sang the the uh, Halo theme, the whoa, right? And mm-hmm. it became this like viral phenomenon where they try to pack like sixty or seventy kids into a bathroom, and they all sing it together. It's kind of strange, and they do this like T pose that I don't really know what the whole thing. What are you talking? Is. Who was this? It was I'm, I'm looking really like quick then? for this guy's. It, name. This was back then. Hold on, um, like not recently, right? Say that again. This was back then, not recently, right? No, it, it, it's, uh, oh, okay, it was a rookie, Eagles rookie, Ian Park. So he sang the Halo theme song, and it kind of went viral. When? And Give me, like, a year here. It was this year. Like, it was, I think it was within a month. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it was really? May 11th. May 11th this happened. And so, um, you know, 
high school boys across the country have now been like trying to remake it, but with like seventy guys in a in a bathroom and they sing it, and I don't know why. But I, I don't even know where you're going. But this, with high well, school this boys is, in so, a bathroom. Um, I'm just saying they this they film it and then they try to get like Barstool or somebody to to tweet it out. So anyway, mm. um, this has caused a, a massive argument because these kids all think that Halo Reach was the best Halo game of all time, which is a, a stupid take. And it's clearly Halo Two, and that's all. That was a long Lovely. setup for a very short payoff, but that really was. Yeah. Um, before we get into the Colangelo thing, a quick thing about our sponsor, Amerigas, nation's finest uh, propane provider. Don't fast forward. We have some beefing to get to here. Right, right. Um, two things. One, if you go into my Twitter feed, uh, we have a tweet from fashion editor Dan from who was climbing. I don't know. He told me some mountain by Seattle. I'm sure someone who's smarter Hill than Manjaro. me knows this. Uh, no, the Cascades. He's at 4,200 feet in the Cascades. He lives in Seattle. Uh, and he stumbled upon, on the just the middle of nowhere, on the top of a mountain, this, as he put it, uh, I, I don't want I want to do his text justice. Uh, uh, are you still doing the Amerigas contest? Check out this absolute unit I found on top of a mountain. Uh, he believes that uh, it's running a generator for a radio relay tower. There's a reservoir nearby and no cellular service. So uh, Amerigas, not just powering your grills, also powering uh, what appears to be communications at 4,200 feet strapped down to a couple of cement boulders, this giant propane tank. It's glorious. It's absolutely glorious. So check that out in my Twitter feed. Um, that's our plug for Amerigas for the day because we would tell you about our giveaway ticket contest to a sport ball event on June 30th played in South Philadelphia where men use sticks and balls and there are four bases. Um, but couldn't really mention the league that's in. Can't mention the team that was for because um, leave it to – let me pose it to you the question this way. Which team in league do you think would take issue with a harmless giveaway contest constantly, repeatedly over the course of a month promoting a Saturday night ball game that is followed by a fun artificial, fireworks show? Ar- artificial fires in the sky. Artific- yes, artificial fires. I don't know if we have the trademark to use the term firework in conjunction whoa, with this whoa, promotion. Whoa, whoa. We're going to have to delete it now. I'm kidding. So uh, we are in receipt of a cease and desist for uh, the ticket, uh, the voucher to enter ball <laughs> contest played in South Philly on the last Saturday eve in June. Uh, whose specifics we are no longer allowed to give and had to stop the promotion. So thank you for entering if you did. Um, we will still be selecting a victor of the of the sweepstake. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't even know. Just like y- you want to talk about like what? you want to talk about leagues that have misplaced priorities. Um, I think the example I gave to you the other day was, Go into YouTube and search who you know who's like maybe the most popular player in the '90s. Go search Ken Griffey home runs or Ken Griffey great plays. You'll find a few. Probably most of them uh, are from the official account of um, the official sport that we are not allowed to talk about. Uh, but you won't find many like fan generated highlights, and that's because for years baseball overly aggressively policed this stuff. It was their intellectual property. They didn't want it being spread around the internet. All of that. Meanwhile, go type in Michael Jordan dunks and wait and see how many highlight videos from random people 
fans of the product who have put together these free, essentially, promo videos for the NBA that are everywhere. Or go on Twitter during an NBA Finals game and check out all the memes and GIFs and short videos that the NBA does nothing about because they know ultimately it's great for their product. The, the social media echo chamber of the NBA is unrivaled from the other sports. And meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, you have Major League Baseball, who's consistently fought against this stuff, picked the completely useless and irritating battles for everything from new media to social media to young people in general to now you get to a point where they have to ham-handedly um, do a deal with Facebook to you know, play one game a week on a platform that is by far the oldest of any of the social media networks and is sort of you know user hostile to the ethos of young people who might be interested in watching the game. And, uh, you know, so leave it to them to pick a, a fight on a harmless promo uh, for a team that is good and yet not filling its stadium. And and here, here's a free month of promotion for a great uh, Saturday evening event. Um, leave it to them. Leave it to them. Feels great. That's all I, I got. I hope they're happy. I hope they're happy now. We essentially did what any church does uh, as part of a summer fair giveaway except it was on a website and yep so uh the yeah. next next time you go to your uh your church picnic this summer and they're giving away phillies tickets uh, please be sure to hand them a cease and desist for major league baseball report them i'm honestly surprised they haven't walked in the fucking shore bakeries that sell like pea branded cookies or you know fanatic decorated cakes and and slap them with a letter i i would i would suppose that's next um all right, they suck, Mr. Col- they just suck. Speaking of tone deaf, Brian Colangelo and the Sixers. Mm. We recorded on what Wednesday? Wednesday. Yeah, that's my fault. By the of- way, that was my Friday was my son's birthday, and um, yeah, I I couldn't make the schedule work. So if you were well, yeah, I asked you if we wanted to ship from the morning, and then you yeah. couldn't do it in the afternoon. So it was both of us. Yeah. It was both of us. So. We, we also did expect, yeah, kind of to your point, we thought that Friday morning, um, if we had recorded, we were going to be missing out on big news that would lead into the weekend. We assumed that we would have seen a press release from the Sixers Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and then record, uh, not an emergency podcast, but, but record something afterwards, and it never came. The only thing that came, I think, if I remember correctly, was the... the um, the press release that Brett Brown had gotten a three-year contract extension with a quote from Sixers president of basketball operations, Brian Colangelo. <laughs> the most uh, like low-key, uh, we hear you, but we really don't uh, press release of all time. I wonder if that's the sort of thing where it was just sort of a text to Colangelo. Well, we have to put your name on this. We'll write up something that sounds like you. Um so I'm guessing he wasn't in the mood. So there's a lot to unpack since we last talked, which wouldn't is one of our, our big, biggest shows in a while. Fitting if uh, somebody decided to write something that was supposed to kind of sound like Brian, but wasn't really him. <laughs> the irony. Touche. Um, yeah, so a lot to unpack since we last recorded. I'm not even sure exactly... You know, it's not worth going through everything that has happened. We've since learned, I'm in a kind of firm belief that this was largely his wife. Uh, After staying up late, I guess it was Thursday night, reading through all of these comment sections from the Discuss, uh, Discus or Discuss, I guess it's Discus, uh, comment, comments, although Discuss would make a lot more sense, Um, comment platform, and you read it through the lens of these being his wife, it definitely sounds like it's his wife 
uh, more so than it would be to him. I think some people are trying to discount the fact that seems to be a pretty strong basketball knowledge there, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that means anything. I know she's either Italian from Italy or of Italian she's descent. Italian. Yeah, apparently very close with uh, uh, Mike D'Antoni and had encouraged her husband oh God, and father-in-law. You really called him D'Antoni? Sorry. It's early. D'Antoni. Okay. Yeah, right. I know. It's early. Uh, it's one of those names I can't... Who was, who was it a couple weeks ago? I can't, I can't pronounce either. Um, uh, the writer. Uh, ben Detrick or Dietrich. Oh, Dietrich. I just want to yeah, say Dietrich. Dietrich. Yeah, it's okay. Um, by the way, I, he came across... He was on uh, the Levitard show. I'm sure he's done a little bit of media. And man, did he come across like he was really uncertain of himself because this was on Friday and it was after um, the internet had sort of sleuthed that it was his wife. Uh, I would note that we were the first to put out the tweet of her phone number from that college page by a whole two minutes um, on Thursday evening. That's why there was but, a shout out by Nick Wright on uh, that's what? First Things First on FS1. Have to like them now. I was listening. I have to like them. I was I was checking out this Philadelphia sports blog, cr- uh, Crossing Broad, hmm. Thanks, and they Nick. did a great job a of great digging job. into these comments. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. He's We're my new favorite TV personality. I'm just um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Dietrich was on, and uh, he sounded really unsure of his story, and he was talking like a lawyer, and. You know, like really being cagey. Uh, Lebetard asked him if, you know, he thought there was a possibility he might be a family member. And he said, well, you know, I would just, he kept referencing the phrase Venn diagrams. The Venn diagram of all the people in Colangelo's orbit, this fits. So there could be multiple, there's multiple overlaps in this Venn diagram of people and interest and people who might be interested in his son's basketball game and friends of the family, essentially implying that the people this account was following. Um, and the way it was tweeting, you know, there's a number of people who could have Brian Colangelo's interest, interest in the son, interest in the father, and obviously being, you know, his father himself, his son, and his wife. Uh, but he really wouldn't say much else. And when Levitar kind of kept asking him, he said, well, I got to be careful here on what I say. Like, he seemed so paranoid about a libel lawsuit. Like, I, that's the way it came across to me, where it was weird. Like, I don't think he's done anything wrong. I think he the story was written. It was undoubt, undoubtedly read by a lawyer and was written and posed in such a way as to not make specific accusations. And that's how you got to write these things. And we talked about that the other day. But he was speaking about it as if, you know, he was, you know, talking to the police and his lawyer was present. It was it was very weird. Um, and I, I came across with a very sub uh, par feeling of him. Because I have been in that situation when the Riley Cooper thing came out. I did some stuff, and people would say, well, you know, what if it's not him? What if the audio is dubbed? And, like, there's just a human way to answer that and be like, look, we did everything we could. You know, we, we you know, we blew up the video. We, we separated out the audio track to make sure it wasn't whatever. And, you know, all signs point to this being real audio, you know, short of a full-on forensic evaluation. And, like, you just say it like a normal person. He was talking like, I don't know. He, was just, he just did not come across well. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I was very uh, disappointed. I think, I think part of it, though, is the way that the article was written was so as not to make it sound like it was definitive. It was kind of to leave it open to the interpretation of the listener or the reader. And that's reader. the point. He didn't do yeah, anything yeah. wrong. But I think in a lot of cases, like when he's gone on this sort of media tour, um, 
it's being presented by the host in a way that makes it sound as though it's definitive. And I think that's why he's probably trying to be, you know, super careful because he's kind of losing creative control or or um, the tone control and doesn't want to open himself up to yeah possible legal stuff. Now, one of the, I think that's I think, fair, and, but I think he could. He was specifically asked several times a question. You know, hey, do you think it could have been his wife? Like. You are not under some like legal gun here to answer that question like cagely. You could say, yeah, you know, it, after now seeing some of the things that came out and, you know, he mentioned the Internet did a great job and all this. But like you could just say after seeing some of the things that came out, yes, um, it, it looks like some of these tweets could have come. From, like he wouldn't even say that. It was just weird. Like just talk like a normal person like you or I talking about this. You're everyone is out there, you know, quasi speculating on this and you could do that it was just weird yeah it it's weird. it's strange um I, I do think that one of the the more interesting things has been the fact and maybe why he's so uncertain and why he doesn't sound so great now is because you know all the the dots that he was trying to connect really did make it sound like he was definitive in a way that it was colangelo and no one else and because mm-hmm. the internet you know sleuthed their way into figuring out that it was more than likely a family member specifically his wife um I think there's a little bit of a of a credit not not credibility. I think there's a little part of him that like hates himself for missing it. And now if you kind of go around boasting about all this great work you did only to then, you know, kind of catch the wrath of the internet. Like he's kind of damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't, right? Like if he if he mentions or kind of flaunts the idea of it being the wife, well, it really wasn't his idea, right? And if he doesn't mention it, then he's, you know, knowingly and willfully kind of ignoring all of the stuff that these people did on, on the Internet. So I don't think he, he's in much of a winning position now. One of the things that I thought was interesting at the end of last week was on Bill Simmons' podcast. He mentioned that they might be running out a second part to the story. And he said that he thought that there was stuff that they could have put in the article the last time and then there, there have been some developments but they haven't run the second article yet on The Ringer. So I don't know if that's ever going to come. I don't know if that was just a tease to go check out the website. Maybe it was. Simmons isn't stupid. So um, I don't know. But the idea of it being his wife, the only thing that that angered me, I guess, at, at any point was um, the people who were trying to like make the linguistic case that it had to be his wife based on her speaking Italian. And the the ideas that people were putting out. So I, I like linguistics, right? I speak languages. This is what I do. And the idea that um, somebody was trying to use Google Translate to try to make the case that it was definitely his wife was silly. Like somebody said, well, AI is the word for two in Italian. And it's like, well, kind of, but it's also the the you, the, you, the you singular conjugation ending that you add to an A-R-E verb. So like mangiare, you say mangiare, and that means like you eat. So I'm like, you can't, and, and like, it's something that I guess, you know, if you're, if you're looking at something and you're using Google Translate, you feel like you have an idea of what you're talking about, but you really don't. So like phrasing wise, yeah, there were certain things that, that kind of stand out as being some kind of a romance language. Um, one of the dumber Right, because thing- there was a couple of times it, it seemed like she, whatever the Italian version of Spanglish is, yeah. it seemed like a few of the tweets would devolve into that. Yeah. And like some of that's fine. It's just like. The idea of trying to use Google Translate as the uh, the backbone of your argument is not a good way to go. Like, find somebody who speaks Italian and and use them. Like, there are lots of Italian speakers in this country. I happen to speak some. Like, it's I, I don't know. That was frustrating. Um, oh, there was something else I was going to say about this woman. Um, I don't remember now. But uh, that was that was my one frustrating 
um, bitten this whole thing. Uh, Google yeah, Translate I is mean, not a reliable tool is pretty much what I'm saying. If you need it in an emergency, it's okay, but it is certainly not the way to go. It will it will lead you down a path of, of uh, broken hearts. But I will say it was just one of the number of circumstantial evidence things, not the least of which oh. is the phone number itself and the fact that there was tweeting while he was uh, on the thing. So what? That, that was that was the bigger thing. Um, the, there were people who were trying to make it that the most definitive thing was the fact that uh, I think it was a response to a caller or something. And no, it was it was Bodner. It was a response to to your post about Bodner's uh, Patreon site. And it said, like, um, I'm, I would be willing to pay the three dollars. But they put the three and then the dollar sign. And they were trying to make the case that that was definitive because the euro sign goes after the number. Uh, right. I think but that's one of the most it's, legitimate it's ones. Not. And no, gonna, no American no, writes that yes, way. They do. None. I'm, I'm going to no. tell you right now. So if, if we were if we were going to try to make the case that it could have been his son, it very easily could have been his son. How many? Okay, his son is in college, right? Uh, I can tell you, and I think Bob could probably tell you that with the age group that we work with, and even going forward, even into college, there are people who are in the range, like let's say sixteen to twenty-five, who will still write a dollar sign after the number and it happens a lot all. more than you think like bet you they silly, can nail bitcoin though well silly small errors that you would think are inconceivable are made on a regular routine basis so that to me is not the, that is not the uh the smoking gun is it something that's interesting yes is it something that we could say is a little bit strange for sure but um, I think it's probably something that would point to it most likely not being Colangelo yes. as a 50 something year old man who deals with, you know, money in his day to day job. That was why um, I thought it could have been his son at first, because uh, but then, you know, other I, circumstantial evidence works against the facts that, you know, they're tweeting while there is one of his games going yeah. on and tweeting about his team's defense. So yep. the point is, the point is, you know, there's there's enough evidence here that. This is not someone who is necessary. This is someone other than Brian Colangelo, at least on a number of these tweets. I know some of the accounts, it looks like there's two voices, you know, whatever. The point is, so now we're in this, we're at this point where if it wasn't him at all, I think everyone is in agreement that if he sent even one of these tweets, he should be fired, right? Because that would mean he knows about the account, he's following them, he's aware of what they're saying. So that makes him 100% responsible. And it, it's undoubtedly a fireable offense. Yeah. Um, well, I think where the converse it, it is, it is, and it isn't. I guess it is for most I, teams. I don't think the Sixers are going to fire him. I'm, I'm mostly confident. And I think it was the one thing I was bummed that we didn't get to record on Friday for because uh, it just continues to seem like it's pointing more and more towards him not being let go. And there was the uh, the Woj update that somebody, or it was USA Today update that somebody within the Sixers organization very high up is fighting on behalf of Colangelo. I would assume that it's not just Colangelo himself because that would just be a stupid way to put that out. I wonder if it's Scott O'Neill. I'm wondering who who it could possibly be. There was another be. report that it was it was believed it was Jerry Colangelo. There was actually a report that says Jerry Colangelo is trying to fight for his son's job because he feels that, you know, he came in and bailed out the team a few years ago and that they, you know, owe them a little something. I have to find that report. I think it was a USA Today report. Um, I saw it floating around over the weekend. By the I way, didn't read the other, whole story. Other interesting development that had happened. One... Hold on, before you move on. Okay. Before you move on. Before you move on. Um, so the conversation now is, okay, 
if he did not send any of these tweets and it was his wife or his son, is he fireable? And I've been making the case in our Slack chat and I think publicly a little bit is that there was probably a way to save his job. And Kevin and I have gone back about this a lot. He's of the belief that PR is useless and doesn't matter and teams generally don't care what fans think. And, you know, I I kind of agree. This, you know, we could... Fans are going to get mad, but we're still going to fill the building and buy, and buy the whatever. And at the end of the day, there's going to be a blip on the radar in Sixers fandom. But this is a different situation because this one actually has a potential, not only bottom line impact, but a major impact on what your your team is going to be able to do this summer. And that's, you know, how the league, other players, his players, agents, and other GMs view Colangelo. You know, in a business that is based upon a, you know, under the guise of working under you know, trusting someone you're dealing with. It's a very public business and you try and keep as many things in-house as you can. Obviously, stuff leaks all the time. This can directly influence him doing his job. And I feel that had it been somebody else and had Brian Colangelo not had from the beginning a very regimented denial, leaving himself no wiggle room, Whereas now, if it is his wife, you know, he's essentially going to have to admit that he lied. It's going to be very difficult to claim that you didn't know this was your wife, especially when the account stopped tweeting. And I feel like had he had a different uh, denial, that would have been step one, advising him on, you know, giving himself an out, a carefully, more carefully crafted statement in the beginning. Because if you're going to deny it, deny it. Like, come out on camera. Don't, you know, speak to John Clark on camera. Um, you know, don't be annoyed when you see him. Seek out someone you trust and deny it firmly. The way, you know, again, Morgan Freeman, um, you know, Tom Brokaw, yeah, they're not on camera, but Word. you get the point. Like, like, really come at it if you're truly denying it. This is like a half-assed denial. And then the second part of that is, this, if the Sixers really wanted to save his job and, and, and keep his, this, it's all about his reputation now and how it impacts him doing his job. I, five days, I feel like is way too long to just throw out a statement saying we're investigating it. I get they're in a difficult situation. I get there are probably interests and ownership, and there's probably some serious disagreement on what to do here. But if you you have to have the guise of like we have this under control and the and, and at least can take back control of some of the narrative. The story thus far has been exclusively, exclusively just Brian Colangelo's face on the internet, face on TV, and he's the butt of a joke, and he's the punchline, and it's next most ridiculous element of this story, followed by most ridiculous ridiculous element of this story. And there's no counter narrative to that. And you're just allowing with every minute, every hour that passes by, his reputation takes another ding. And if you think you could salvage his job or you want to and you want to try and just put this behind you and chalk it up to his wife. And, you know, I think the way that to do that would have been within 24 hours, 36 hours at most going out in front of the media, not having him stay in California for another day, which is unbelievable to me. And and having him be like, look. My wife is, if, if it was his wife or his son, you know, they struggle, they hate seeing me criticized. You know, they're, I, I'm half Italian, like they're intensely, you know, um, passionate Italian, you know, people, defenders of their family. And they are, it's tough for them to deal with this. And I knew that it bothered her and that she had commented to me that occasionally she would, def, you know, defend me online. And I didn't give a second thought to it. I didn't know it was to this extent. I had no idea she was 
putting out details. I didn't follow these accounts. I didn't know that she was putting out details that, you know, I told her in confidence, you know, you go home at the end of the day and you vent to your spouse. And I've talked to all the players involved and they understand that, you know, it doesn't represent how I truly feel. We all do it. We all go home and we vent about things that happen during our day to our spouse. We don't expect them to put that online. She's embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm sorry to the organization. You know, we made a mistake. Obviously it won't happen again. And that's what this was. And I feel like if you do that and you get out in front of it and you genuinely let people, if you're genuinely sorry and didn't know about this, I think there's a little bit of sympathy there that, okay, this guy was going home. He was, you know, venting to his wife and and no idea that she was just so recklessly putting this stuff out there. And my wife's embarrassed and we're sorry. And this is, you know, whatever. And I think that's the way to do it. But you can't allow almost a week that, you know, we're coming up on a week here to pass and him just take dings. Because now if you do that, I feel like his reputation is so tarnished that it's going to make it difficult to do his job. And it's not about the fans buying tickets and any of that. It's about how the league interacts with Brian Colangelo. And this isn't just something on Sixers Twitter. You have LeBron James poking fun at him in an NBA Finals press conference. This is the guy you want to target this summer to come to your team. And he's making fun of your GM. Like there's a problem here. Had you gotten out in front of it, I think it would have become whatever. But in the you know the meme culture that surrounds the NBA, Colangelo's a meme. He's a joke. We got him on a T-shirt. You know, I mean, there are all these like little things. It's it, it's I don't know. It's tough to bounce back from that when you're on Sports Center as the butt of a joke. When people in Canada, I was on a radio station in Winnipeg, was in, was talking about this mixed in with the uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. Like this isn't just some small local story. It, everyone in the league is aware of this. And I, I feel like they had a should have said something to at least wrangle back control of this narrative. And I, I feel like now if you salvage this job, it's going to make them look very bad. And if they fire him, you know, like if you fire him, okay, it took a while. You gave him whatever the benefit of the doubt. But if they're seriously thinking about saving his job, like it's going to look real bad now if they come out and say, you know what, it was his wife, whatever. Like I, there's got to be a press. I, there's got to be a press conference. He's got to sit in front of a camera and answer questions if he sticks around. Well, there's got to even be. if he doesn't. I feel like the team needs to sit. In, you know, Joshua Harris, Scott O'Neill need to sit in front of a camera. I feel a little bit better knowing that the Sixers have actually done due process because they're an organization that I, I think has caught heat in the past for maybe not doing um, doing the best job of of things and being the most thorough. So I think there's a little bit of, of positive that comes out of that. I do think the the story's died down a bit. Um, you know, we, we can be living within it in the Philadelphia market, but I think league-wide it's kind of died down a bit. And but yeah, you it can, didn't. And, and, you had LeBron talking about it was, on Sunday afternoon in an NBA Finals press conference. No, that was Saturday. Sa- what? Okay. It, was, it was Saturday. I mean, and, and, Whatever. Like, and game three. Well, Whatever. I mean, and, but like game three happened last night. It, I don't remember it coming up in the coverage. Um, as as time goes on, like, it doesn't... I, it doesn't matter though. The rep, the damage has been done to the reputation. Like there's well, that's a, what I'm saying. This, though. this, this a, is the debate Kevin and I had. There's a, a difference a between the news given, cycle. Yeah, but they've they've given him due process. If they fire him, they fire him. I mean, I th- I think that they should be going a different direction. One of the things I was going to say before is uh, one of the Sixers co-owners, David Heller, uh, liked one of Mike Levin's tweets that said, "In the event that Colangelo doesn't get fired, I've drawn up contracts for Nene and Joe Harris because that's all they'd get in burner free agency." I think that there have definitely got to be people and like these are all minority owners, I guess. But like there's there's got to be a, a large enough contingent of people who want to see him fired. But I think they realize that 
or maybe it's trying to be sensitive about the Colangelo name and what that means to to the NBA and what that means to basketball in this country. They're trying to figure out the best way to do it. You know, there were people that were saying that, well, maybe it has more to do with are they firing him for just cause or not because it affects, you know, the bottom line or whatever. I think ultimately, sure. if, if you're going to get rid of him uh, and you've given him due process, I think it actually speaks more to the organization. I think it's a good thing. I, you know, if you fired him uh, saying it was him and then like the Twitter sleuthing, you know, within 12 hours or 24 hours or whatever, figured out that it was his wife. Well, there might be more complexities to this than we thought. And one of the things that I guess I've, I've been kind of, you know, beating the drum about with friends is I think just about everybody goes home and complains to their spouse or significant other or whomever about things that happen at work. And the, the, I guess the reason that this is so much worse is they never thought that they would get caught and you would never think that your spouse in you know tweeting about whatever happened would get caught and and it would be you know at this kind of scale um and it's things that look a lot worse in print than they are in in reality like everyone goes home and vents about something that happened that day and at the end you know i i can't imagine there's a human being on earth who hasn't gone home and and vented about their boss that if you put it in print would look oh god i'm gonna get fired yeah and so I, I don't know. There are a lot more things to this to this story that we'll be breaking down the rest of this week. But um, I think it was yesterday. Somebody had kind of done the uh, the side by side comparison of you know the the idea had been that um, his wife Bettini, what is it, Barbara Bettini, uh, had said multiple yeah. or like had sent out multiple uh, tweets that it, it seemed like it was just her account. But then one of the tweets, and I forget which or one of the accounts, I forget which one it was would do like fashion advice on like Jillian Mealy's uh, outfits and and it had like a certain tone to it and then uh that same account was used to comment on something about like a move that Colangelo made with a distinctly different tone so it seems like at least one of the accounts was shared um I, I don't know I think that's probably what they're trying to figure out and they're they're trying to do due diligence on it but Wait, you know, wait ultimately, we're, we're sitting here, on. 17, we're 17 on, days hold on, hold on. out from the NBA draft. And that, to me, is the bigger concern. If you are going to get rid of him or you think there's a chance you're going to get rid of him, uh, this is now 17 days before you're supposed to, you know, make the number 10 pick in the draft, before you're supposed to, you know, all the more reason to move making, quickly. I know. Uh, consider making trades, like all that. And you're you're blowing that opportunity. So that's bad. Two quick things. I want to be clear. I wasn't set. You know, I, I agree there should be due process. But I do think if you if it's going to take... You know, I say this long. Yeah, it's five days. I feel like there needed to be just a little bit more control of the story because if you if you do try and keep him around or save his job or do keep him, I feel like it has gone on so long now that it looks ridiculous. Whereas if you had a couple of well-placed Scott O'Neill interviews, hey, look, we get the way this looks. We know that it looks bad. We're aware. However, you know, we have some belief that he may not have actually been aware of this or there may have been other people involved and we just want to work to the bottom of that. And I feel like that goes a little bit further and it also takes Colangelo's face off the TV for a few minutes and allows his reputation a breather um i don't know you just mentioned something about one of the accounts tweeting about jillian mealy yeah the com. this is really interesting i got i gotta com- go but go ahead. i know you do let me just make this point real quick the three comments i read on here during the last show that i ultimately concluded were probably not from the same person in our comment section one of the reasons i concluded that is because one of the comments came from jillian's ample assets um, a, a clear reference to Jillian Mealy. And uh, I did not know that one of his Twitter accounts had also mentioned Jillian Mealy. So that is a that is interesting and might make me revisit this series of comments that I uh, had concluded was not associated with Colangelo. That is interesting. Hmm. 
Interesting. Until now. Yeah. All right. Until so until Wednesday. Time. Wednesday, we'll uh, hopefully have another update. It'll be great. Uh, don't forget to go on to uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever and leave a five-star review, five-star rating. Um, and as always, thanks for listening to Crossing Broadcast. Don't forget to go check out the other episodes on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including uh, over the weekend, Kevin had uh, Sebastian Latou, the Philadelphia Union great, on episode 50 of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Uh, at his I, house. At his house. Uh, Phil and I just dropped a new Crossing Broad FC last night. Uh, Snow the Goalie will be up this week. Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, should be up tomorrow. So, uh, go check out those shows, subscribe to those podcasts, leave five-star reviews and all that. We'll be back on Wednesday for Kyle at Crossing Broad. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. We'll talk to you again soon.